So today I just came across the news that the the US is the US has already pulled started to pull back troops from the Afghanistan and what is happening is I heard that the Afghanistan president just fled the country and um, there are talks of transferring the power back to Taliban and when I was hearing this news um immediately this book came to my mind and this is the I think the title of the book is oh, The Origins of Political Order by Francis Fukuyama and in this book he he actually talked something about the the wild dream that uh people think that by going to war in some other country you can suddenly go inside and establish democracy overthrow the existing government and just come back like that and he explains in the book why this is a myth um so i i want to start by uh using or quoting one of the um the lines that i uh see here in the book and it's in the f- chapter 1 which says the necessity of politics so i so what he's trying to explain in this chapter is that politics is kind of a necessity evil that you ca- cannot get over um that you need uh, some kind of political structure for a functioning economy and like you know proper well-being of the citizens who live in that country um so this quote goes like this this is from page 6 i'm looking at a kindle so i'm not sure if it's the same page um in a in in a in a print or hardcover book so the quote goes something like this there is something like a law of conservation of institutions human beings are rule following animals by nature they are born to conform to the social norms they see around them and they entrench those rules with often transcendent meaning and value when the surrounding environment changes and new challenges arise there is an often a disjunction between existing institutions and the present needs those institutions are supported by legions of entrenched stakeholders who oppose any fundamental change american political institutions may well be headed for a major test of their adaptability the american system was built around a firm conviction that concentrated political power constituted an imminent danger to the lives and liberty of citizens for this reason the us constitution was designed with a broad range of checks and balances by which different parts of the government could prevent other parts from exercising tyrannical control the system has served the country well but only because at certain critical junctures in history when strong government was necessary it was possible to forge the consensus to bring it about through the exercise of political leadership so this is a dichotomy here that on once on one hand we are saying that you know we understand that a strong concentrated political power um is actually a threat to the liberty of the citizens uh um over which this political power has uh, the control right so strong government and concentrated government is always a threat to uh, the liberty that's at least that is our under understood uh, fundamental principle upon which the whole american constitution and the whole american uh, democracy has been built but at the same time what he points out is that uh, in, in certain critical junctures in history um uh, it is these kind of strong governments that make things possible like without a kind of a strong government it's very difficult to get a consensus from people uh to to move forward and to make critical decisions right 
uh, he goes on to say there is unfortunately no institutional guarantee that the system as designed will always check tyrannical power yet allow exercises of state authority when the need arises the latter depends in the first instance on the existence of social consensus on political ends and this has been lacking in american political life in recent years so he goes on to explain things like that but what i am more interested in in is uh in chapter 1 there is a subtitle called the fantasies of statelessness and what he says that throughout history like uh you know political ideologies like marxism they have long uh, dreamt of a, a time where you could have a stateless uh, or like a, basically removing the the higher level authorities and somehow uh, you know allowing uh, a, a networked way of governing uh, self governance right so here okay let's look at a quote he says so a common thread links many of our contemporary anxieties about the future from authoritarian backsliding in russia to corruption in india to failed states in the developing world to entrenched interest groups in contemporary american politics and it concerns the difficulties of creating uh and maintaining effective political institutions governments that are simultaneously powerful but at the same time they are rule bound and accountable right um and then he goes on to say authoritarians pay a compliment to democracy by pretending democrats so he says that even in so democracy is kind of a widely accepted as the right way or the just way of governance and uh, the point that goes to prove this is that even today if authoritarians have to take over a country they have to pretend or put on the drama that they are actually conducting a just election uh, and behind the scenes they have to manipulate the election so at least they have to give the the whole um, you know impression that this is kind of a democratic election and they have come to power through a democratic process and that itself is proof that democracy is kind of the world's widely accepted way of governance right um and then uh, the fantasy of statelessness most prevalent on the right is that market economy will somehow make government unnecessary and irrelevant right so uh he okay let's let me read few more lines during the dot com boom of 1990s many enthusiasts argued along the lines of the former city bank ceo walter riston that the world was experiencing a twilight of sovereignty in which the political powers traditionally exercised by states were being undermined by new information technologies that were making borders impossible to police and rules difficult to enforce the rise of the internet led activists like john perry barlow of the electronic frontier foundation to issue a declaration of independence of cyberspace where governments of the industrial world were told you are not welcome amongst among us you have no sovereign sovereignty where we gather a global capitalist economy would replace the sovereignty of democratic governments with the sovereignty of the market if a legislator voted for excessive regulation or restricted trade it would be punished by the bond market and forced to adopt policies deemed rational by global capital markets fantasies of a stateless 
world have always found a sympathetic audience in the United States where hostility of the state to the state is a staple of American political culture. Um, libertarians of various stripes have suggested not just rolling back an overgrown welfare state but also abolishing more basic institutions like the Federal Reserve Board and the Food and Drug Administration. Um, so, and this is the general trend, right? You know, like people don't like bureaucracy. People hate corruption. People hate when politicians play these dirty games to get uh, their, you know, like their own self-interest uh, to pursue or or to uh, take forward or to, you know, serve their own self selfish interests and, you know, get rich or whatever, right? Uh, so we in the developed world, um, so Francis Fukuyama says that, you know, in the developed countries, we we take this existence of government institutions so much for granted. And, uh, you know, like we forget that it took so much struggle to get to this point where we have created these robust institutions and processes and procedures. It was not suddenly something that we woke up one day and created. It took a lot of work to create these institutions and these institutions are there for a reason. So that's what he's arguing. And, uh, and, and, and he's right. Like we take for granted that we have all these systems and processes, uh, for governance. Um, and, you know, you know, when people get complacent, people forget where these things came from. They suddenly start thinking, oh, we don't need these things. Like, you know, we, like, if you, if you think that you can survive, uh, you can have proper good medicines, uh, without the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, you are in a fantasy land, right? Like there were issues where uh, there was the need of a regulatory body that has uh, strict uh, rules and policies on how to manufacture and, uh, and develop medicines, how to test them in a way that is, uh, you know, safe for humans. All these things were the, were the result of food and drug administrations. So, but at the same time, it is the same agency that causes a lot of, uh, you know, like uh, ballooning of costs in terms of drug development. And, you know, obviously regulation causes more red tapes and bureaucracy. So there is, there are, there will always be problems with institutions. So institutions will never be perfect. We can always work towards making an institution that is somewhat close to perfect or at least attempting to be closer to being perfect but it will never be perfect right that's just as the fact of the world now uh now at the same time if you go to like third world countries right um the 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 problem is that like these there are no proper systems of governance and like the, if there is some kind of political or government structure it seems to be in a complete mess so uh, and again coming back to the point where we saw in the news today that the afghan government is fleeing the country and taliban is now taking over the us has been waging a war in afghanistan trying to fight the forces in taliban and the dream was that we will establish a, a proper functioning government and a democracy and we will also reestablish market economy and and then we everyone can live happily ever after right so uh, so let's look at this no and i think that's false that's a that's just a, just like an illusion 
right? It's, it's just like a utopia that people have thought about. Democracy and governments don't come easy. It takes a lot of work. So let's look at what Francis Fukuyama says here. He says, indeed, the kinds of minimal or no government societies envisioned by dreamers of the left and right are not fantasies. They actually exist in the contemporary developing worlds. Many parts of sub-Saharan Africa are a libertarian's paradise. The region as a whole is a low-tax utopia with governments often unable to collect more than about 10% of GDP in taxes compared to more than 30% in the United States and 50% in parts of Europe. Rather than unleashing entrepreneurship, this low rate of taxation means that basic public services like health, education and pothole filling are starved of funding. Right. So the idea behind not having a not having a government in place or not taxing people too much is that if we if we don't tax people too much, maybe they will use that money to become more entrepreneurial and start new enterprises and the free market economy will take care of issues like, you know, health, education and like fixing roads and having good bridges and stuff like that. But the reality is far from that. Right. So here he says. The low rate of taxation means that basic public services like health, education, and pothole filling are starved of funding. So they don't get any funds because unless you tax people, where is the government going to get the funds? The physical infrastructure on which a modern economy rests like roads, court systems, and police are missing. So basically, they don't have any infrastructure to support these kind of systems. In Somalia, where a strong central government has not existed since the late 1980s, Ordinary individuals may own not just assault rifles, but also rocket-propelled grenades, anti-aircraft missiles and tanks. People are free to protect their own families and indeed are forced to do so. So this is like the extreme case of the Second Amendment, like where people are you know, free to carry and own their own weapons and their own guns. So like here, basically, there is no support for uh protecting the rule of law or like preserving the rule of law with a proper court system or a police system so basically people are left to fend on their own and what ends up happening is that they, the the it goes to the uh, the the corner case where now people have to carry can you imagine like carrying like having like rocket propelled grenades and storing them in your home because you're afraid that someone is going to attack your home and like you have to live in the constant fear of someone breaking through your door and you need to have like the you know the most powerful weapons to protect your community i mean like forget about entrepreneurship like you are completely in a state of fight or flight where you cannot think of anything creatively you cannot even relax you cannot even enjoy your life all you're doing is you're trying to protect your family and, and because the attack is imminent anytime and there is no police or court that you can go to, right? So he goes on to say, Nigeria has a film industry that produces as many titles as India's famed Bollywood, but films have to earn a quick return because the government is incapable of guaranteeing intellectual property rights and preventing products from being copied illegally. So the role of a government as a regulator, someone who is monitoring the activities of the citizens and, and, and catching the bad players and having systems to punish the bad players, it, it provides a negative incentive for people to do all these uh, bad things, right? So uh, in, in the lack of a structure like that, it's, it's just like having a house with uh, parents, no parents, and these kids don't know what to do, right? Um 
and 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 i'm not saying that uh, like uh, you know people in third world countries are not adults and they're not uh, a, you know they don't have the ability to think for themselves or anything like that i'm just saying that when you totally remove any kind of uh policing or any kind of regulatory structures from a society uh there will always be bad apples in any kind of society right there will always be bad players and it is not it is not my job or my neighbor's job to make sure that this bad guy in the community is not messing up or causing chaos in our lives right like we have other things to do and ideally that's what i want to do right like i want to Uh, mind my own job i want to spend time with my family i want to enjoy my life i want to pursue hobbies but now if you realize that hey this community is no longer protected by the police or anything like that then i'll have to take up matters into my own hand and then start thinking of protecting my family and things like that so this actually takes up resources uh, mental resources and emotional resources and financial resources from the hands of citizen that would have been spent and invested into onto activities like entrepreneurship and now you are walking around the neighborhood carrying assault rifles trying to protect your kids from some crazy guy so um, uh, and i'm and i'm quoting continuation of the quotes the degree to which the developed people in developed countries take political institutions for granted was very much evident and this is where he goes on to talk about the war in the way that united states planned or failed to plan for the aftermath of its 2003 invasion of iraq the us administration seemed to think that democracy and a market economy were default conditions to which the country would automatically revert once saddam hussein's dictatorship was removed and seemed genuinely surprised when the iraqi state itself collapsed in an orgy of looting and civil conflict us purposes have been similarly stymied in afghanistan okay here we are coming to afghanistan where 10 were 10 years now it's i think now it's coming to 20 years of effort and the investment of hundreds of billions i think now it's easily into the trillions of dollars that have not produced a stable legitimate afghan state political institutions are necessary and he says political institutions are necessary cannot and cannot be taken for granted a market economy and high levels of wealth they don't magically appear when you get government out of the way they rest on a hidden institutional foundation of property rights rule of law and basic political order a free market a vigorous civil society the spontaneous wisdom of crowds are all important components of working democracy but none can ultimately replace the functions of a strong hierarchical government this there has been a broad recognition among economists in recent years that institutions matter poor countries are poor not because they lack resources but because they lack effective political institutions we need therefore to better understand where those institutions come from and this is where i stop because he goes into um, an example quoting about denmark and how the political institutions are built and things like that so if we we take a look at the afghan war the afghan war cost so 
So there is an article from BBC and it says Afghanistan it was published 2 days ago what was the conflict what has the conflict caused the US and its allies So now what forces were set in the US invaded in October 2001 oh my god it has been 21 years since the US has been in Afghanistan uh to oust the taliban whom they said were harboring osama bin laden and other al qaeda figures linked to the 911 attacks and us troop numbers grew as washington poured in billions of dollars to fight a taliban insurgency and fund the reconstruction peaking at about 110000 in 2011 so at one point in time we had almost 110000 soldiers or um uh, in the soils of afghanistan and last year in 2020 uh it came down to just 4000 us troops um and it has even now shrunk down to 650 troops who are expected to stay in afghanistan to provide security for diplomats so now uh, what i've seen in the news is that they are actually evacuating all the diplomats from afghanistan through the air route so there are choppers like dropping ladders onto the top of buildings and now like all these diplomats are escaping like that it's crazy to think about this uh, and other countries were also part of this foreign troop presence blah 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 nato formally ended the combat mission in 2014 but kept a 13000 strong force that to help train the afghan forces so the next question is how much money has been spent um and you know the vast majority of funding came from the US so between 2010 to 2012 when the US for a time had more than 100000 soldiers the cost of the war grew to almost 100 billion dollars a year that's just crazy by 2018 this was around 45 billion dollars a year and then i think we also spent uh, through the US agency for international development and other government agencies like 44 billion on reconstruction projects wow so and there was according there was a brown university study uh, which says the us spent around 978 billion uh okay uh very with the government departments blah 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 despite putting all us to have promised a total of 4 billion a year until 2024 to fund afghanistan's own forces where has the money gone so the money was spent in afghanistan bay on counter insurgency operations and on the needs of troops such as food clothing medical care special pay and benefits okay and more than half was spent on building afghan security forces including the national army and police force 36 billion has been allocated for governance and development while smaller amounts were also allocated for anti-drug efforts and for humanitarian aid okay now let's come to the human cost oh my god since the war against taliban began began in 2001 there has been more than 3500 coalition deaths of which more than 2300 us soldiers died and as 450 uk troops have died and a further 20660 us soldiers have been injured in action this is crazy 
and the civilian casualties are even more crazy almost uh, so according to the united nations assistance mission in afghanistan nearly 111000 civilians have been killed or injured since it began systematically recording civilian casualties in 2009 and this is just like the official count like who knows what the real count is so the moral of the story is that government institutions are required and it's really not easy to build strong government institutions and to create like a market economy these things are these slow evolutions usually it takes many years of slow evolution uh, iterations and small experiments and, and that's how this happens it doesn't just happen in a vacuum um so uh we have to see what happens in afghanistan after this once taliban takes over but again like you know the the, the benefits that we have in developed countries in in the form of government institutions even though we we always blame them of being like too big or you know like an expenditure or having being too bureaucratic or stuff like that we have to realize that uh we are able to live peaceful um happy lives because we have these strong institutions watching our back um yeah so government institutions are important and and every citizen should understand the importance of such institutions and what goes into building those institutions and what happens if you start ignoring these institutions